0: Conference of Champions rolls on, no truck stops here, we are the Pac-12, we are the best of the best.
1: Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast, I'm Carlos, here with me today, all tatted up, Avery at Brave Grapes.
2: Tattoos are permanent.
1: <laughs> oh, are you regretting it already? No. <laughs> I thought it sounded like uh, regret. Uh, it sounded <laughs> a
2: little like regret. Uh, no,
1: I had come off. <laughs> uh, no one told me that they lasted this long <laughs> uh, Matt at no pit stop. I hate time zones so much <laughs> uh, yeah my man showed up an hour early thought we were doing a pacific I, I always do it I always do it in pacific time have I we always considered do it in
2: abolishing time zones I
1: think that's what we that need to do that would be confusing
3: would it that would be very confusing why <laughs> 4 o'clock would just mean 4 o'clock what do you mean that would be confusing exactly
1: <laughs> and Greg at banana morphs hi <laughs> uh, uh yet another off-season episode where we're mostly engaging in needless and toxic discourse. But sometimes we talk Pac-12 Sports on these off-season podcasts. I don't know. We've only done like two or three of them. Uh, but speaking of Pac-12 Sports, Matthew Burtson, uh, the podcast hired you at a lucrative salary of zero dollars to watch every single Pac-12 baseball game in the postseason. Uh, I'm curious, how's that gone? Have you enjoyed yourself? Are you uh are you a Pac-12? baseball sicko cool. now
3: i hate metal bats so much you guys um <laughs> why? i hate it What's so much than that in a metal I hate bat. the sound it makes i hate everything about it um okay
2: what kind of bats do they play with in the major leagues are they, they not use, made of metal they,
3: no they're made of wood
2: they're made of
3: how did you how not, do they not
2: break? we
0: went to a baseball game together like weeks ago
2: i've never seen one break though <laughs> How have
0: you never seen one break
2: do they break frequently? Yeah. They, I'm usually drunk. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, in the world? I had no idea. I thought they just use the same.
3: I just no, assumed it was the, the same. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, no, college baseball is I I've heard several and seen several people say that it's a better product than major league baseball and that's simply not true. Um, it is it is a problem. It really sucks. Uh this How does it suck? I've seen the scores on there were really high. That looks
2: well, like fun. Well, doesn't it suck because all the good players just go Pro out of high school. Yeah.
3: Like, so the quality of baseball is very directly related to the talent level. Um, like even in the major leagues, games between bad teams are a slog to watch. Um, and so if you're a, – a, a lot of people like college baseball because there is more scoring and they think that like points equals entertainment and I'm just not that way. Like I can't – I think the one of the games between the Pac-12 championship game – between stanford and oregon state i think went like four and a half hours and it wasn't any extra innings or anything like that like it's just ridiculous how slow it is and how long it is so there's like there's no pitch clock to it there's no like the pitchers are not great it's hard it's it's a hard watch for me
1: All right, fair enough. I mean, I mean, uh, I don't know. People are really all over on the timeline. I don't. I I find it hard to believe that it's that boring because, like, the scores on there, I like watch, like, see baseball scores and they show up my timeline four to three Pittsburgh and and Anaheim or whatever the fuck. But the college baseball, the Pac twelve baseball scores have seemed insane, like twenty one to twenty and fourteen. Well, that means the inning
2: never ends. That's what Matt was just saying. That's a good point. If the inning never ends, you'd get bored eventually. And if
3: and if it's on like two and three pitch counts that's fine what gets boring is when you start getting these eight and nine pitch counts because nobody can throw a strike like that's what's boring about Uh, baseball is when you're going five minutes without any swings happening
1: okay that sucks okay well, uh, you put yourself in that position by agreeing to that bet. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I hope you. I hope you have some good updates for us on the on the college world. Can Series. you guys
3: send me to Omaha though, if Stanford and Oregon State make it?
1: I looked up flights to Omaha. They seem insane to me. Yeah, yeah flights right now. Are no, ridiculous. it's absurd
3: yeah. for sure.
2: It's like Oregon State fans. That's their vacation every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time for that. that's their Super Bowl. That's, that's their, their whole. Super Bowl. Yeah. that's their shit. As an Oregon yeah. State fan, they, I feel like I should know what's going on. Are, All I know is that Stanford and Oregon State are still playing. Is, is it single elimination? Th- is it double elimination? Triple elimination? I don't fucking <laughs> know because I thought Oregon State lost, but
1: <laughs> are they? So wait, are they? Are are those the only two Pac-12 teams mm-hmm. left? Oregon State and Stanford. Okay,
3: which right. like you say, I only they two. went one and two
1: in the conference or I something, Stanford right? Stanford lost too.
3: They did lose. So every like what? stage of the tournament is double elimination. <laughs>
2: Okay. okay, that's why I was confused because I could have sworn Oregon State lost, and then like people were still tweeting about them, and I was like, "Is there a losers bracket?" Like,
0: I don't really now. I get it. it. Yeah, I don't get so it. So they could both still win the national championship. Seems like it. Okay, cool. All right.
3: go, cool. Go,
0: Beavs, go go Beavs. Go trees. Go trees. Go Beavs and no, go trees. No, it's
3: like they're in the super regionals. It's a big deal
0: good fuck good. This is super yeah. regional man they would got to come up with no better let's names not do this, this anymore we're <laughs> when's their, <laughs>
2: their next when's their next game what's their schedule saturday we Play this weekend cool.
1: well i'm not sure when we're posting how do
2: you it, even so. watch that on espn what is it on?
3: i don't what are you asking oh. right now?
2: i didn't know if it was like on some weird network because nobody gives a shit but i guess if it's like <laughs> the, some people give a shit again the important baseball tournament then
1: yeah I'll watch all right it. well tune in. let's let's move on from baseball i'm already bored uh greg <laughs> greg you went on the quack 12 podcast talked some deep sicko shit on the position groups for utah so uh at some point you should check that out <laughs> any uh, any highlights from that greg uh we
0: talked about every position group on the team uh that was fun <laughs> i i forgot that karene reed and gabe reed were brothers
1: um, I have no fucking clue who those people I
0: are. I didn't even know there was a Gabe. <laughs> you don't know who Ga- he was like Stanford's only good defender aside from. Oh, Kobe I thought you were Kelly. talking about on.
2: I thought you were talking about on Utah. He transferred to Utah. I was like, he. D- when the fuck? Did yeah. That wasn't, go? wasn't that Gabe the
3: one that like was talking remember. about coming back with. If, yes. if Gabe transferred, it's yes. like Covey's oh, best friend.
2: Oh, Okay. Okay. I remember now. I didn't realize.
0: Sorry. Well, yeah, see, I forgot they were brothers man. too, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, we got Good. deep into the weeds about every spot at Utah and what there is to be worried about and excited about. Uh, yeah, so when it comes out, check it out.
1: Very cool. And then I've got the. I'm going to go on the Quack Twelve podcast. I think for UCLA also. So we'll see how that, see how that goes. Uh, have you guys been? Uh, just just real quick because I watched it last night. It's been on my mind. Have you all been watching Obi Wan Kenobi? On I didn't Disney+? watch
2: yesterday's episode. Maybe yeah,
3: unfortunately, night. I'm watching it.
1: Have, you, have y'all? Good. enjoyed it? No, it's not. I, I it's thought it's terrible. been great. It's good
2: it's because been... of nostalgia. That's no. I
1: don't. Great. I think it's genuinely good. It's been gen- yeah. except. I think the last. Are you
3: saying nostalgia episode. for the worst trilogy that has ever existed in all of movies ever?
2: Nostalgia for you and McGregor.
0: Uh, I might watch because you and McGregor is in it, no. but uh, I have not started watching as of yet.
2: Okay, I will die on this hill. Return of the Sith is the second Re- best Return Star Wars of the movie. Sith? revenge of the sith sorry i haven't even been drinking i'm just tired revenge of the sith is the second now i don't sound like a star wars fan that's so embarrassing no i don't revenge I of the think sith that's, is that's the second best movie that's behind.
1: close that's close i'd put it three I'd, I'd go i think i'd go the last jedi i'd go oh lord uh, Disgusting. Fuck, you, fuck you guys come you're not helping you're not fuck helping you my class i'm not even a
3: star wars fan <laughs> jesus christ carlos
1: uh i i would go i would go the last jedi empire strikes back revenge of the sith that's what i'd go
3: it's like uh,
2: canonized that empire strikes back is the best star wars movie like arguing with I'd that's put, incorrect
1: i'd put pa- i'd put the last jedi above it sorry i don't give a fuck about whatever. the lore anyway back to whatever obi-wan kenobi Obi-Wan i Kenobi's think great. it's
2: been good so far yeah i've
1: enjoyed it i don't it's know it's just been like, nice
2: to see that era i guess because there's so well, much dead space there that nobody I, ever talks about
1: it's true. Uh but I also think there's some interesting themes around the fallout from war and like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi's like of, you know, we get him when he's all, you know, beaten down and run down and like we see uh the clone, you know, one of the clones is like a war veteran now asking for money and you know just the don't, casualties no
2: of i haven't seen last night's episode that was like in the first five minutes of the oh yeah i guess <laughs> those true. are
1: the first five minutes of the first episode God, uh, I anyway <laughs> anyway uh I, I i've had fun anyway we don't have to talk about that anymore <laughs> uh we do have a lot to get to today finally getting on to we normally don't take forever to get into it but we we did today but we do have a lot of uh stuff to get to today today's show we'll talk about whether nil actually needs guardrails we've heard a lot of discourse about this and i just thought we'd Just blow that up because there's some weird shit people are saying. Um, Some shockingly weird shit that people are saying. So we'll talk about that. We also have a guest coming on, our boy Reed. He'll be on here at MF underscore Reed on Twitter. He's a writer for Scoop Duck. We wanted to fight with him a little bit about Oregon football, so that'll be fun. Uh, But first, let us do some off-season discourse.
3: Why can't anybody fucking be normal on this website? Jesus Christ, why can't any of you people be normal?
1: (laughs) We have two off-season discourses. Uh first one, this was a dumb thing but it was pretty funny. Uh I think Avery, you've got some thoughts about this. Oregon's offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, was caught retweeting a tweet from a recruit about his official visit to Washington. <laughs> I like it's he's very like weird. caught
0: re- caught retweeting like I, he committed a crime. It's funny.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because he still hasn't like it's still up, right? Yeah, it's still yeah. on his timeline. Yeah, very bizarre. Avery, you have a do you have a rant about this? Can you explain yeah, okay. what's going on here?
2: So, upon further view of kenny dillingham's twitter which i regret doing um he does a lot of retweeting of recruits visits to other schools so i'm starting to wonder if he has no idea that he's employed by Washington, Oregon, <laughs> <laughs> or if if he just like that's his brand to just support recruits like all out which doesn't make any fucking sense um i just want to say if you're not like social media savvy and you your coach you shouldn't be on twitter just you can have a twitter account you can tweet out like vague things every once in a while but don't like try to be on twitter don't be retweeting recruits don't be doing that shit because it looks really embarrassing like what are you trying to accomplish here have an yeah wh- what do you
1: what do you think he's trying account? to accomplish
2: i think he's like trying to show that he's supporting like college soon-to-be college athletes as they prepare to commit to whatever or maybe he's trying to get like the Oregon fan base riled up that these recruits are visiting other places as if it's not like a normal part of the process but like just don't do that it's weird he's a weird guy and I don't think weird people weird coaches should be on social media I think it's bad for how people see them like get an intern to run your account or just never tweet like coach Whittingham never fucking tweets and when he does he tells an intern to tweet something for him like that's how if you don't like social media and you're not on it that's how you should do it because it's embarrassing i'm embarrassed i got so much secondhand embarrassment like scrolling through his twitter feed like he's retweeted visits to oklahoma like multiple (laughs) times and i'm like dude this is you're just weird i don't know what the goal is
0: any other comments about this? I mean, like, yeah, just the the why can't you just be normal? Sound says it all. <laughs> uh, it's very strange. I think he's probably trying to like show the kid that look, I support you no matter what. That's why you should come here. Uh, but it, it's fucking weird and doesn't make any sense. So he should he should stop.
2: Also, like ninety five percent of his tweets are just retweets of recruits, <laughs> and it's like you're not a, you're not a fan account. <laughs> like that's what. Oregon fan accounts (laughs) maybe he wants to blend
0: in with the Oregon fans he wants to be accepted by them
2: like it's not as a coach it's not your place to just retweet stuff just don't be on Twitter it's
3: weird it's weird
1: Matt you have any thoughts about this Twitter doesn't
3: matter in recruiting and we should stop pretending
0: like it does it doesn't matter it's just weird Ah,
3: it doesn't matter matter. I don't
1: I don't think it matters but man there's nothing else to talk about uh
3: yeah no this is also further proof that twitter is for unpaid interns only like if you're not an unpaid intern don't be on twitter if you have a real all job, of us are get on off twitter. twitter all of us are terminally on none twitter. of us have real jobs well, official, accounts.
2: <laughs> official accounts are usually official accounts are usually not run by nope i don't care interns. who
3: you are if you have a real job get the fuck off twitter <laughs> my goodness <laughs> Uh, we also have a podcast. Yeah, you think cool. we're important in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> yeah. Carlos? Good well, God.
0: I
2: thought we shaped <laughs> how recruiting works, though, with all of our rumors that we spread. Yeah, yeah you know, I'm, I'm sure. sure. <laughs> heard,
1: heard, heard some more Kyle Whittingham might retire discourse yet again. I, Someone asked I've
0: them. heard more and more. I mean, we just, it's like a <laughs> snowball rolling down from? a hill. We, we started the snowball
2: has nothing to do with how long he's been coaching nothing right
3: i'm sure and i'm sure cbs sports yeah definitely takes our lead oh, absolutely <laughs>
2: we started this narrative
1: us uh, alone very cool yes correct <laughs> all right well second offseason discourse now that we're off this weird twitter thing uh this came in up our, up in our pac-12 group chat and it kind of sparked a firestorm because uh, a few of you sickos are really into your fucking lawns um So Avery came in upon hearing Greg and Matt both saying that they love mowing their lawns and said lawns should be abolished. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to try to explain this. Avery, you explain. Explain to us why lawns should be abolished.
2: If you live in a place where you have to have a sprinkler system to water your lawn, you shouldn't have a lawn because they're bad for the environment. They're an ecological dead space. If you have a well-kept lawn that you have to like mow to make it look really good, it doesn't help the bees. And yard yard work, landscaping should be about bees and pollinators because they're important for earth. And lawns are just bad for that. And if you have a lawn in place of trees, it means you're going to be spending more money keeping your house cool. Just plant trees. Plant trees. Plant natural grasses that you don't have to water. Less water, more pollinators. Better for the environment. My biggest beef, I know a lot of people are passionate about lawns. And like you can have that. My biggest beef is laws, like HOA laws and rules that require you to have a well-kept lawn because that's so fucking bad for the environment. And if everybody kind of just eased up on their craziness about keeping their lawn nice, like it would be greenhouse gas emissions would go down. It would be very good for the environment and pollinators. So that's my beef. I just don't think there should be laws uh, about it.
1: Greg, Matt, as avid lawn enjoyers, (laughs) (laughs) I think uh,
0: I enjoy the lawn more than those bees enjoy life and I'm more important (laughs)
4: than they are
2: okay Uh, okay but my thing is my thing is you can enjoy your lawn but don't look at your neighbor's yard and see that their lawn is grown out and there's bugs over there and say you need to fucking mow your lawn because that looks bad
0: I don't care mind your own damn business I just want to mow. yeah
2: mow your lawn let people not mow their lawns let people plant wildflower seed in their lawns
1: Matt, any thoughts about lawns?
3: Yeah, no, I, I absolutely don't care about the environment mm-hmm. or anything else. This is all about my own exactly. sanity, and I want some I alone the time. most
0: important, and so I will keep Are you, my lawn. Why do you guys – okay, I need to ask this question
1: because it makes no fucking sense to me still. You explained it a thousand times. Maybe I need to hear it in a different way. Why do – Greg, why do you like mowing your fucking
0: lawn? It's like an hour or so depending on how long I want to make it last. Uh, where I can just listen to something. No distractions. There's nice fresh cut grass smell. Uh, It's warm outside. Uh, I don't know. It looks really nice after you mow it. There's a sense of satisfaction there. I like green. It's a nice color. Can
2: I propose a solution? Because it feels like the problem here is you guys want to mow your lawns to be alone. What if you ripped out your sprinkler system and planted native grass no. that's drought tolerant no. that you don't have to water i don't and mow that instead No,
0: because i don't want to lay on that
2: why not what do why you know not? about native it's grass itchy. it's the same fucking thing it's no it's not it's oh my gosh doesn't look if as anything nice. you have a higher tolerance to allergens from native grass than like the shit that people are planting in their sounds yards.
0: fake don't care. Mm, <laughs> Stay away from my just, lawn. Just
2: stop watering your fucking lawn and replace it with something that I'm you. The come and the take
0: water. it flag, but instead of uh, instead of a gun, it's it's grass. It's my grass.
3: <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Greg, can we? make that? <laughs> Yes.
2: <laughs> Abolish
1: HOAs. Abolish? But I, I, I'm sure everyone agrees about abolishing HOAs, but uh matt why do you why do you enjoy mowing your lawn just to get away from your family have you two i just a uh, quick question for you two uh matt i know you're gonna say that you enjoy the time to yourself greg it it helps you like being outside you like being alone have you two uh considered this new innovation called therapy
3: no <laughs> <laughs> you want not talk about bad for the environment That's right. are you kidding me the greenhouse gas is emitted from that shit yeah. um <laughs>
1: Go ahead, Matt. Why? Why Why is this uh, better than therapy?
3: Oh, it's not. It's not better than therapy at all. Are you kidding me? That's the okay. dumbest thing I've ever heard. No. Okay. You live with a fake individual that you call your wife, and that's it. Okay? So, like, you don't understand the life that is where, like, you have responsibilities all of the goddamn time. And going out and doing the lawn is an additional responsibility that it has to happen that you can actually have as a priority. And then it forces you to like walk and be outside and be active in any way, shape, or form and not have a five year old and a one year old screaming at you while you do it. It's incredible. That's
2: really awesome. But what's Greg's excuse? Because he doesn't have those things. You don't have
3: a kid.
0: I just straight up up enjoying. I just straight up enjoy mowing the lawn.
3: Greg also lives with more than a fake individual that he's married to. That's true. Like Greg has other people that are screaming at him.
1: Avery is not married to Dewey.
2: I'm not. So we're in I don't
1: know what, what you're is about.
2: a what is a common law marriage?
0: <laughs> you've been, to, you've been together, you've together for five in, years? You've been there for like six no. months. What are you talking about? A common law marriage. <laughs>
1: amazing amazing once you get a once you get a tattoo it becomes common law marriage nah. <laughs> once you realize that that's permanent that becomes
3: forever is, uh, I see is, it. moving in with someone is
0: permanent
1: <laughs> <laughs> is the uh is the tattoo of dewey it's Dewey's not name?
2: it's some. it's I mean if you consider Dewey a sheep then <laughs>
1: uh, Yes
3: I do then yes. I just, I just is, consider a him a, a decomposing corpse actually That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to tweet something from the No Truck Stops account just thought you should know Oh god Uh, when have we ever
2: announced it before well this is
3: live radio so
0: (laughs) that's very very helpful (laughs) were you talking to us or the audience (laughs) to you
4: (laughs) (laughs) great great amazing content
1: all right well that's enough off-season discourse let's get off this uh All right, Uh, we we do have a slightly more off-season discourse, but I actually think the conversation around this one's not stupid or pointless. I think it's worth a conversation because I've just heard it over and over again. I thought we could talk about name, image, and likeness and all the weird conversation happening right now uh, and really for the past couple of months. If you're not a super crazy college basketball football sicko where you're thinking about NIL, name, image, likeness stuff, let me just catch you up real quick. About a year ago now, close to a year ago now, we're at 11 months and like two weeks, On July July 1st, 2021, the NCAA implemented a new rule that said student athletes can profit off their name, image, and likeness. That immediately led to a ton of programs across the country setting up these organizations or these collectives or whatever where boosters can pool their money together and entice recruits to come to a school um, with NIL money. Uh, The SEC was very quick to jump on this, a few Big Ten schools also, and and the Pac-12 in particular has been super slow and cautious generally about this whole thing. They've been really timid. Um, Anyway, so what's happened now is that players are either committing out of high school or transferring, we think, from what reporters are saying because of some NIL deals. Um, and it's led to what people are calling a, a consolidation of talent, uh, where places that are had a ton of money already were already cheating or getting more talent. That combined with transfer rules that were relatively recent, where any player can kind of transfer wherever they want one time without having to sit a year, uh, it's causing, causing a ton of player movement. Um, and as a result, everyone's in a fucking tizzy about this. Uh, a ton of college football head coaches prognosticators media members even podcasters have all have all come out and said that nil needs guardrails that this whole thing isn't sustainable this is all going to ruin college football and, and by the way this isn't just like you know conservative media people and conservative college football coaches and conservative podcasters politically conservative folks who don't really want athletes to get paid this is coming from honestly some of the more like uh uh uh, level-headed, more politically progressive, even leftist-like college football podcasters. I've been surprised that our favorite podcasters, the podcast of champions, uh, both Ryan Abram and David Woods, are talking about NIL guardrails and limits as if this is like an obvious common sense thing that absolutely needs to happen. And and real quick, I want to get y'all's thoughts on this, but I just wanted to first poke holes in this super quick, and I wanted to check y'all if, if I'm crazy here. This sounds like fucking insane to me. It sounds like really uh, regressive to be like, yeah, we need guardrails for NIL. This is a getting out of hand. Uh, and it kind of sounds exploitative. Like, everyone uh, in college football right now thinks uh, that college football is falling apart. And all because some kids who previously made less than minimum wage on scholarships and tuition have started to earn their keep. Uh, and I wanted to just uh, think about, like, how wild it is to me that we're completely fine with head coaches who... Uh, are not really putting their bodies and their brains frankly on the line for this really stupid fucking sport they're all making eight nine ten twelve million dollars per year at this point um, at, at minimum at like a, a g5 school like five hundred thousand dollars a year but as soon as they and that actually might be a million um, at this point um, but as soon as kids start making money like 100k a year we're like everyone's like fucking upset about this one of the arguments that the podcast of champions folks made was that schools and coaches would never go for capping coaches salaries but like that's that that's the dominant narrative that everyone here wants to uphold that that like universities would be happy to tell everyone that like that's an insane thing and that's kind of the the line from schools honestly is that it's an insane thing to think about coaching salaries we're just like wow that guy's getting a ton of money the market's really hot right now Oh, well, um, I think that's really fucking weird and really wrong. <laughs> uh, it feels like people really aren't prioritizing their own values on this. But uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear you all talk about this really quick. Um, you know, what, what are your am I crazy for thinking this that like we're, we're talking about capping NIL money and trying to have guardrails? Uh, instead of like thinking about the coaches or the ones who are making the most money uh, to begin with, am
0: I t- am I crazy for this, Greg? I'll start with you. I just don't. Know. I don't think you're crazy. However, I do think like I think you might be looking at it at the wrong angle just a little bit. Uh, I want to start off by saying like I don't really have a solution that I think is uh, realistic, just considering uh, who runs the sport. But uh, I do think nil nil guardrails would be a good thing. But it's like, it's not about the players who are getting $100,000 awesome. It's like the top-end deals that are in the millions. I feel like if we put a cap on those in just made it a little lower, that's more money to go to the other players. And now this isn't looking at the coaches, because obviously I think co- capping that too to give more to the players would be a great thing. But while we're talking ideals, you know, because I don't think capping either of them is realistic... Uh, If we could cap the ones that are like really, really high so that the people giving money to the program in the form of NIL deals spread that money around a little bit more, I think that would be a really good thing. Uh, Ideally, players would just be like employees of the universities and there would be a fixed salary for them and then NIL guardrails would be a much smaller issue because even players who aren't getting NIL deals are still getting paid, so it's not—getting an NIL deal isn't a necessity. I think that would be great. But the problem with this is the the NCAA. The problem with all of this is the NCAA has never been as powerless as it is now, and uh, they can't do anything. Matt, do you agree? Uh...
3: The the focus and the conversation point around capping the actual dollar amount, I think, actually has a lot more to do with the idea of <laughs> pushing this into professionalization. That as long as this remains as an amateur sport quote unquote, it, this, this remains in a situation where it's not going to be intrinsically fair. It's always going to be exploitative. And when you actually, when you start to put on a, any sort of an NAL cap or guardrails or anything like that, then you can actually go into building this out as a professionalized, collectively bargained, you know, sport and environment. And so I think that just as much of the talking point is about leading towards that. As much as where it is the actual problem. Because the problem here has nothing to do with NIL or the dollar amount. Like, I don't I don't think that anybody actually cares how much money these kids are making. I don't think that anybody actually, like, really wants to limit the idea of in, them being able to get endorsements or anything like that. And so the argument of, like, nobody would say anything about coaches making this amount of money. No, they wouldn't. Because nobody cares. And, frankly, when it comes to the coaches, coaches don't actually drive this sport. That's not... We can sit here and talk about their importance and how valuable they are, and that is fair to the individual universities. But when it comes to the sport as a whole, it's it's the talent level and the fact that that you have really high talent, and this is the developmental league for the NBA or for the NFL, and and is what actually is able to give it value. But the dollar amount here is not the problem. When you're talking about the guardrails, it's talking about this idea that they can you can have unlimited power and unlimited money when it comes to to acquiring players, which is totally fine and is still there and absolutely exists in all professionalization, but it doesn't allow anything when it comes to the health of the sport. We're already leading to an extremely regionalized sport that is becoming more and more uh, specified around a particular area of our country where everybody else is not caring about it. And in that particular area of the country, being able to say that you are a head donor to the university, it does mean something for you. That is a, there is a legitimate return on investment between being a buddy garrity in Tuscaloosa, Alabama than there is in uh, the uh, like in Pullman, Washington. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody's shopping and buying from you just because you are donating to their particular like favorite college or favorite school. And so that is more it to me, the guardrails have a lot more to do with how you are actually framing the sport than they do when it comes to the actual compensation. Avery, you have thoughts?
2: My biggest issue with this is when it's white adult men who are probably conservative getting mad that these players are getting paid, Um, pay the players, let them make their money especially when it's like making their money off of their image. It's ridiculous how strict that used to be. Like they're a human being and they deserve to make money. I don't really have anything else to add about the guardrails. Like I do think it's frustrating that coaches make that much money and there's no cap and nobody talks about that. There should be a cap because it can get out of hand really easily. But I kind of agree with Greg that none of this is going to help anything until they're treated like employees and are making like a salary and they should be because they work for that. They put in a lot of effort and schools make a lot of money off of these unpaid athletes and they deserve to get paid for their work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, yes, I agree. And I think that, uh, I, I, what I'm trying to figure out then is what the guardrails are for. And, and frankly, if the guardrails are not about, uh, making sure these kids don't make money, it's, it's so that they're not moving to where they want no, to be. I disagree.
0: Be. Um, that they're, yeah, what are the guardrails? Because I don't care for about me, kids moving. I don't care about that at all. A lot of people do, though. Yeah, a lot of people do. I think they're wrong.
2: I think the people pretend like the guardrails are about fairness. But I don't think that's what no. they'd actually be about. I think they're about controlling where the players play. But I think people say it's because of fairness.
0: Where it's like it's a step towards profession, professionalization rather than a uh, cap on where players move. Because once it's like professionalized and like... People are talking about guardrails, but people are not talking about guardrails as
1: a w- needing guardrails to professionalize the sport. They're talking about guardrails because they're mad that uh, players can go wherever they want, because fans are not are no are less invested in the kids because the kids don't have loyalty to the university and are free to move everywhere i mean it's the same shit with the transfer portal right like kids are moving wherever they want it's free agency and people are mad i think that's why people are talking about guardrails i think that's why the podcast of champions two very reasonable people who i think do want the players to get paid they are talking about guardrails because they they also don't like when players are moving <laughs> as people who are enjoying the sport. I don't give a shit. I think it's fun. Um, I think it was really fun to think about, like, Jaden Deloria goes in the transfer portal, and he goes to Arizona. Like, that's fun. That's awesome. Maybe he went there because of NIL money. I don't know. It seems like maybe he did. I think he went there because he like, was
0: running from Cameron Ward. But, like, Jordan Addison is a better example because he went Yeah, to there you paid. go.
1: From Pitt to USC. Right. And, like— I think that's fun. I mean, even if it does benefit, disproportionately benefit USC, it's it's fun. It's like the M- one, of, one of the reasons that the NBA is a year-round sport is because we have things like free agency in trades where players,
0: high-profile players, can move. And I don't know. I I, I think people are upset about that. I think those people, I think you're right, that those people do exist, and I disagree with them. However, I don't yeah. think that, like, guardrails just serve what those people want. Like, I think they could be a a very good thing for the sport as a whole if they were, yeah, just, I think they would be a good thing for the sport as a whole.
3: I think there's legitimate concern for the sport of college football in the way that it is going outside of NIL. I don't think that NIL is actually the trigger point for this in any way, shape, or form. I think it is a lot of just the natural way that the sport has been going when it comes to the socioeconomics of it and and where the importance of college football is placed and where it is very much so not and i don't think that the sport actually works in its purest form outside of of what we've had previously where it is truly a national and and regionally national if that is like if that makes any sense um where i think that you do need people that are in washington to care about what is happening in alabama and florida i do think that that matters to the sport and i don't know if this sport can develop a league that is actually just a minor league for the pros that is made up of USC, Ohio State, Alabama, and the like. I I don't know if that works. But it's very much so the way that it's been going. It's very much so the way that it's been going since 2001. Like, this isn't a new thing. Yeah, NIL is just the newest, like, hot topic to bitch about in regards to the direction that the sport is going.
1: But you think think NIL... You, do you think the guardrail? So, okay, first I'll say, do you think NIL is moving to nationalize the sport more than more than regionalize it now? And do you think the guardrails are to prevent the regionalization, or to or uh, to prevent the nationalization, or to to advance it and accelerate it?
3: I think that NIL is absolutely accelerating a situation where if you are not a fan of the top twenty programs in the nation you are further avoiding and, f- and leading further and further away from like actually being competitive and caring about the sport as a whole. And but
1: when has it ever been true that the G5 were ever competitive at that level, you know, with like the top 10 programs at any given time, right? Like that's never been true.
3: It's never been true about the G5, but that's, that's the difference between 65 programs across the nation actually caring and 20. Like this is a much bigger difference and even further, I mean, when you're talking about those 20, when you're talking about actually being able to compete for a national championship, there's two teams this year that actually genuinely feel like they can compete for a national championship. Last year, there was one. Like, every, you know, like nobody, Alabama decided that maybe they had a chance, kind of, sort of. Every Like, this is a problem that is happening across the entire sport, and I do think that the fact that NIL is being, and, and player compensation is, is being used to, like, is actually what the sport is being built on is more the problem when it comes to NIL. Like, I'm fine with kids making as much money off their likeness, being able to get all the endorsements, everything like that. That's all wonderful, fantastic, and good. But when that is what is, like, basing when you're talking about, like, player acquisition at the highest level, because it's not – I don't think that it matters to Utah. I really don't. I don't think that it matters to Arizona State. I don't think that it matters to Oklahoma State. Like – And these are legitimate programs across in 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 the sport that I don't think actually like nil really does much to affect them. I think that it's only affecting what is happening at the national championship level, and I do think that that's a problem.
1: Avery, last word on this, and then we we got to move on.
2: I don't I don't have any more words. You picked (laughs) the wrong person.
1: (laughs) Wow, wow! I really thought. uh, Sorry for opening up space for a woman. I'm never going to do that again. misogyny <laughs> i like my thoughts are that
2: players should be play, paid like employees so that's yeah, that's my thoughts that's, and i at think everyone it will sh- work itself out i think uh,
1: yeah. i think everyone i think everyone agrees uh it's just a matter of this this like nonsense uh nil shit um uh, that i've just been hearing N- nil is is certainly creating some income disparities among the players but you know i don't know is there's, there, there's probably le- more let me but I me ask you- like
2: a lot of people aren't worried about that but they say they are but they actually don't care no, they say they are use. so because
1: they hate that kids are getting paid. Yeah, but I mean, I think there is some income disparity issues here with yeah. NIL. But that's not what the guardrails are about. No. The guardrails are certainly not about, hey, how about we have like equitable pay for everyone rather than just some of the top five percent athletes? And if they do say that, it's disingenuous bullshit where they don't want anyone to get paid.
3: Okay. Did you want to move? All right, on? I will shut let's, up.
1: Yeah. Let's <laughs> let's move on. Uh, we've had enough of that. Let's bring in our guest. Uh, he is a writer for the On Three Networks Oregon site, Scoop Duck, and he's the co-host of the Quacked Out podcast, one of my favorite Oregon podcasts. Definitely a top ten Oregon <laughs> podcast, in my opinion. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at mf underscore It's our homie, Reed. Reed, say hello.
4: Hello, everyone. Uh, I've been waiting to get into the NTS cage match for some time now, so I'm happy to finally be here and do some counter-propaganda. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, yes. You know what this podcast is, Reed,
1: so you know we love it's to it's fight. It's about
2: communism. <laughs> that, that also,
1: yes. Or anarchism, one of the two, leftism. Yeah uh the abolition of capitalism generally but it's also about making people angry um and so we wanted to fight with you about Oregon football uh we're gonna get to that we will have many heated fights with you about Oregon football but let's just let's just settle in here let's dip our toes in here uh we wanted to get a sense for what you think about this Oregon team coming up the prognostication uh prognostications for Oregon seem a little scattered to us um you know, with this talent, this coaching staff, it seems like the expectations are somewhat all over the map. I don't think anyone thinks they're a non bowl eligible team, but I think I've seen anything from seven win team to national championship contender. So I'm curious, uh, Reed, what you think Oregon season will uh, look like this fall.
4: Yeah, I definitely agree that this Oregon team is pretty hard to pin down. You know, obviously, there's been a lot of changes over the past six months. Um, but I think, yeah, that's really part of what I want to say is that there's a ton of potential on this Oregon team on this roster, especially, um, and that in the context of this, you know, not very good conference, uh, there is room for you know a ten and two season or maybe eleven and one and playoff contenders. I think that seven and five is also out there. You know, the main thing in terms of expectations that I would say is Oregon has earned the right to be in that top three of the conference title contenders, you know, Utah, Oregon, and USC in some order should be that three that everyone kind of wouldn't be surprised to see win this conference. Uh, Especially I think after the new title game rules has closed the door a bit for some of those other Pac-12 North teams. So in terms of, you know, win total wise, I think nine and three is probably the most likely number for Oregon. Uh, but personally, I am on the side that I think 10 and two is probably a bit more likely than eight and four.
1: So, uh, and first of all, uh, Greg, Avery, Matt, any follow-ups to Reed's prediction here that it's a, uh, 10 and two likely season? Uh,
2: have we talked about the divisions news <laughs> on haven't. here yet? We haven't. No, no, that was like three weeks <laughs> ago. We, it was three we weeks like ago. go over that really quick?
1: No. <laughs> Reed's already here. <laughs> okay all right all right avery go ahead avery go ahead t- tell us and then and then and basically then ask reed your question
2: the conference championship game won't be necessarily be between a north versus a south team it's just the two best teams with the two best records in the conference but scheduling is still based on divisions for this year so that's what reed was saying when Everyone yeah, knows that's I'm fair. Talking about.
1: That's fair. Okay. Pre-re- okay, that was good prerequisite knowledge for people. Thank, Thank you for, for saying that. Does anyone uh have any follow up questions for Reed and his t- Does anyone disagree with his ten to two claim that Oregon is likely to well, go? Well,
0: he 10 did 2? say that uh they're likely to go nine and three. He just said ten and two is more likely than 10 10 eight and 10 four. 10. That's all he said. <laughs> you can't do your <laughs> thing where you make up <laughs> what somebody said. I thought that's what he was when saying. We all I thought here. that's what he was saying. I agree with him also. Uh, okay. I think I think ten and two is more likely than eight and four for Oregon. Also,
1: all right. So here's their schedule. They go, they go to Atlanta to play Georgia. Loss. Is that, that's yeah. a loss, right? Everyone agrees. That's a sure loss. Uh,
4: they host. He said
2: that about Ohio State. Okay, I, yeah,
4: but this is.
2: I'm not going to give them. I'm not going to give them any fucking credit. But.
4: But yeah, ninety five percent or something. <laughs> there is a chance. I mean, even I would say. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's right. Eastern Washington. That's a win, right? One and one. Uh, they host BYU. I, I get it. BYU packed. Well, whatever. Uh, I win. think they, that's a win. So that's two and one. Washington State. That's a tough one. That's in Pullman. That's a fifty-fifty. Let's say uh, between Washington State, they get uh, Washington State, UCLA, and Washington. What do you think their records are there? They go. They host Washington. They um, host UCLA,
0: and they go to Washington State. What is that? 1 and 2? Two, 2 and 1? Uh, I'd say and one. 3 and Kay. 3 and 0 is more likely than 1 and 2, but I could see a loss there. Ah, important. So, I mean they're just much better than Washington State.
2: First conference game?
0: Matt Matt 2 and 1 or or, or 1 and 2 or 0 oh and 3 or 3 no. Uh
3: obviously we haven't seen Cam Ward play a game at this level, but it's not ab- it, it's not absurd to say that Washington State has the better quarterback in that matchup.
0: Oh, definitely not. But I think and, their and offensive UCLA line And UCLA will stop. too.
1: UCLA will also have the better quarterback yeah, that offensive that's, line might also suck.
2: That's in or that's at Oregon too
1: that is at Oregon okay let's say two and one so that's two losses we've counted at this point right Stanford and Arizona I think those are probably surefire wins unless How Oregon unless Arizona's you? a little spicier <laughs> um, and then Cal and Colorado I- They'll beat Colorado. I'm not sure about I'm Cal sure it's about in Berkeley. Cal. Oh I'm,
2: God. Pretty, God. Sure about, I'm pretty sure
1: about Cal. Please stop.
3: Okay. It's just, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Cal is the most vanilla men- ass three and six team we've ever seen in our entire life. <laughs> all
1: right, they are eight and two at this point. Okay, they're eight, they're eight two eight and according two. to you. But wait, wait. So they're, <laughs> they're eight and two at this point. Utah and Oregon State to close out the season. Utah's I think a they loss. Lose both
2: those games. Yeah, I, kinda
1: I think, think they, they lose do. State yes, I think they beat the shit out of Oregon State
0: and they lose to So, okay, we've but,
1: talked a lot about Oregon. We Okay, th- th- this feels more likely in to eight Corvallis, and Greg, than 10-2. <laughs> but, Reed, go ahead. You're shaking your head.
4: Okay, my, my biggest frustration is that you turned these into toss-up games, Carlos. So, I want to – let's zoom out. Let's look at what happened last season, right, okay, and use that as a baseline. So, with all the incompetent coaching, conservative scheme, Anthony Brown at quarterback, all of that – Oregon won 10 games, went seven and two in conference. Okay, so let's Where look all at- all of
2: those wins actually wins, though?
4: No, yeah, and then... this, this is, <laughs> ahead, this is what I've, I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> okay? I know that you guys, you've been compiling this alternative history of 2021 Oregon football <laughs> on here. Let me bring you guys back to reality. Post-game win probability. Okay, It measures the odds of a team to have won a game based on the stats compiled during the matchup. You can pull it up whether you prefer cfbdata.com or Bill Connolly's numbers. Both agree Oregon had a 94% chance or better to win six of their nine conference games last season. Right, So those games, first Washington last year, Oregon had a 99.4% post-game probability. First UCLA, Connolly had it at 92 Eight point two, versus whoever else. Washington State ninety four point five percent post game win probability. So I think calling those fifty fifties is a bit disingenuous. You know, I I think Oregon's okay, proven I, that their I talent can here? lean on people. Yeah.
2: How much does last season matter when you have a completely new coaching staff and a new quarterback? Like I know it matters a little bit because you have a lot of players returning, but. This is a completely new coaching staff. So I feel like we just need to look at this schedule off of vibes only
3: and go from there. And vibes are telling me 9 and 3. Vibes
1: are telling me 8 and 4, and here's why. Because you're stupid and you can't pick games. You shut the (laughs) fuck up. Carlos for a Uh, reason, all right? I haven't (laughs) forgotten. Okay. (laughs) They swap out. Okay, so Oregon State, which they, they won somewhat handily. They won by 11. That game is now going to be in Corvallis rather than Eugene, Right. Uh, Oregon will also have to play instead of Ohio State. They're swapping out Ohio State for Georgia. I think Georgia is a better program and a more talented one at this point. Yeah. And um, it's in it's in Atlanta. So and they went to Ohio State. So that's fair. But like those two, just flopping the like flipping those two to road games and flipping Oregon State to a home a road game and Ohio State to Georgia feels like that feels like an additional possibly two losses right there and. Um, they get. They have to go to Cal at Berkeley. They okay. barely. Let's they not pretend Cal. being okay.
0: at Berkeley is a challenge. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. I'm, I mean, only I'll call it the challenge record for Cal. Okay. For Utah,
2: they struggle at Berkeley. Doesn't matter for any other fucking program, Utah, as yeah. far as I'm aware.
1: Just Cal Utah. went. Cal went four and two at home
0: last year. Cal was a decent team. If last
2: it's year. not six and zero, oh, I don't care. <laughs> okay,
0: okay.
2: Um. I, f- I strongly feel, based off of absolutely nothing, that if Oregon <laughs> loses to Washington State, they will beat Utah. But if they beat Washington State, they'll lose to Utah. And that's where I'm getting 9-3. and three. That's how I feel. Okay. Because right. they're I losing mean, that's to Washington State. Uh,
1: but I think 9-3 cl- uh, and three is fair. I'd say it's closer to 8-4 and four than it is
0: 10-2. I two. think you have to assume that Oregon loses two random games, which is yeah, a weird exactly. assumption because when was the last time they did that? Yeah, I—, I t- Okay, well let's talk okay, Reed. We have Reed, our poor guest here, Reed. Uh Reed, go ahead.
1: Go ahead. We'll let you have the last word on this one specifically.
4: Well, I think that that home road split is a really important thing, right? I think you look at the Georgia game, that's gonna be tough. And then you have the sandwich of BYU and at Washington State. I think that's a hard block too. The stretch from Washington State to Utah is pretty good because of the home road split. And Oregon hasn't lost a home game since 2018, the conference opener to Stanford. Um and so I think they have a good chance to go into Utah eight and two or maybe, maybe nine and one. Uh and if they do that, they're gonna be in an all right position, I think.
2: Yeah, but you know they're gonna lose one of those stupid You games. don't know that. No, you Okay, know.
4: let's this goes into the next point
1: because this this is why I, I I feel that way. Uh let's talk about the coaching staff because the way that I the, I feel like they're capable of having one of those dumb losses because of the coaching staff. I'm gonna put out a, a statement here and Greg, Avery, Matt, and I uh, I, I want y'all to answer this in one sentence, and then I'm gonna ask Reed to talk here. Reed, my opinion of this coaching staff is that the that new head coach Dan Lanning, the the staff that he's put together, is is that it's bad. Uh, I thought <laughs> I thought Dan Lanning, <laughs> I thought Dan Lanning was actually a good hire uh, when when they hired him, and then he went and hired his old buddy Kenny Dillingham, who himself is extremely young and inexperienced, uh, and then he went and hired a bunch of guys who are known primarily for being elite recruiters. And also for being very bad coaches. That's that's my perception here. Uh, and we can list the coaches and go one by one. But I want to do a quick check with everyone else here before we kick it to you, Reed. Matt, do you agree with this perception of Oregon's coaching staff? One sentence.
3: Yeah, nothing scares me. It's a year one. Okay.
1: Avery?
2: Uh, Kenny Dillingham is a virgin who doesn't know how to use social media. <laughs> so, uh, offense, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Greg? Uh, I'm lower on Dan Lanning than I was after uh, he was hired because I thought the hires were bad, like the staff hires were bad, but I still think he could end up being pretty good over time.
4: All right, Reed, tell us. Tell us what you think. Uh, I I agree on Dillingham social media use. (laughs) I have have my own rant on that uh, as well. I think that this is an overgeneralization about the staff, though, uh, and I, I don't know where along the way Carlos has, has convinced himself this is prevailing wisdom, uh, but it, it just is it's not. It's the same way uh, everything else has happened there, yes. <laughs> The exact same route. Nothing's new here. <laughs> um, so, Brandon Marcello is a national guy at 247 Sports. He's basically as credible and as much of a straight shooter in terms of national coaching, staff evaluations as you can get. You can pull up his offseason article, rank the 28 new staffs. He had Oregon third and graded them an A. He had USC seventh, Washington State 11th. Washington okay, okay. 13. But how much does that have bullshit. to do
2: with Oregon's uniforms?
4: <laughs> <laughs> but but really, even Greg
1: Greg is an Oregon apologist, especially whenever I'm railing on Oregon and he just fucking rolled his eyes at that list. Having USC at 7th is fucking wild, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that right there is like, like but, but continue, Reed. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah go on. Go ahead. Let's let's hear from Reed.
4: Well, okay, so you can go through, I mean, I think you start with the defensive staff. That's kind of why he was brought in, was mainly because he said, I can get Tosh Lupoy from the NFL. If you don't know him, he cut his teeth growing up in, in the West Coast coaching ranks. Greg Biggins, 247 guy, said he's on the Mount Rushmore of West Coast recruiters over the past 20 years. He coached at Alabama for four years. He coached in the NFL at three different spots along the defensive line. Um, and then they paired him with Matthew Pallage, who's this guy who less people will know the name of, but he was the safeties coach and co-defensive coordinator at Baylor with Dave Aranda. Uh, and I'd like that the most of anything, because the biggest questions about Lupoi from his time at Alabama were his ability to pair the front seven with the secondary. Uh, and when you get a guy who was an elite safeties coach, that kind of solves that issue that you had. On top of that, I mean, recruiting is the focus of the staff because that's where the sport is moving. You know, I'll admit, yes, there's inexperience on the staff and youth at times, but you have to trade that in with the extended recruiting calendar now because that's the most important thing in the sport. Um, In terms of Dillingham, yeah, I think he's a question mark, but what I will push back on are people who try to say that this is John Donovan 2.0. He's Kenny Dillingham is young, yes, uh, but he's been a fast ri- riser through the profession. This is going to be his third Power 5 coordinating job at 32, um, and he's been at two other pretty prestigious locations before this. Uh, and so, yeah, I think we have to wait and see. This is a new challenge for him to build an offense on his own, but he doesn't have a track record of failures. He has a track record of rising through this profession, the other big guy on the staff was Adrian Clem. I think that's where a lot of people say that he was a bad developer and a good recruiter. That's a total misconception that comes from UCLA fans. Oh, I don't know. Jesus why. Christ. Carlos, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Who what offensive line coach has produced the most active NFL offensive linemen in all of college football?
1: Through, through not, through nothing, through nothing of his own doing except recruiting. L- no, when you, but, here's the thing: you could correlate stars and recruiting ratings to NFL uh, draft status. Easy, okay, like especially with offensive alignment.
4: Then, like, why? Look, <laughs> go ahead, read. <laughs> but, but here's, that's the biggest thing: is you, I'm not making this up. You can go pull up, pull up Adrian Clem's list of commits on 247 f- Sports. Bring it up at home. How many top 200 offensive linemen did he sign during his time at UCLA? Two. He signed that many already at Oregon. He didn't recruit that elite at UCLA along the offensive line. What he was and why he got his reputation was he was a great complimentary recruiter. He primaried inside linebackers and running backs and wide receivers to supplement the rest of the staff. But his offensive linemen actually weren't these bona fide Blue Chip top 100 guys. He never landed a top 100 recruit as an offensive lineman at UCLA.
3: Matt. So I'm I totally hear you. Cool. Like great recruiters, everything like that. That's all fantastic. Do you actually feel like there is upward mobility at Oregon in the recruiting trail though? Like do we act do we not feel that Oregon is peaking when it comes to their recruiting? Do we actually feel like they have the potential to compete with the Ohio State's, Georgia's, Alabama's? or are they at, because the recruiting has been absolutely elite under Cristobal.
4: Yeah, I think that, well, one I would say, obviously Lincoln Riley coming in presents a new challenge for Oregon recruiting. So even if the output in terms of the class that you're gonna sign isn't better, you need to recruit at a higher level to get there. You need to break into new states uh, and move away from California as a pipeline once USC, you know, if they're back, which they look like they're going to be. But then I would say, you know, Oregon just has to recruit top 10 level and push top five. That's what they've been doing. And if they do that, especially in the Pac-12, which, I mean, we'll see how conference realignment shakes out. But for now, that's enough to get a clear path to the playoff and compete if you have a good quarterback. You know, the blue chip ratio is 50%. Oregon's already at 57%. Right, So that line for what you need to be a title contender, uh, Oregon is meeting that threshold. And if you pull up their 2021 class, they were above an 80% blue chip ratio in it. So if you stack what Oregon's been doing already, that is enough, I think. And I think the staff is capable of doing that.
1: I think one of the things, that, just, just, to, just to push back to go back to the Adrian Clem thing, let me, let me ask you, Reed, where was Adrian Clem before Oregon? He was in Pittsburgh. With, with, the, the with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And what was yeah. his role there?
4: He was the offensive line coach.
1: So why would Adrian Clem go from, if he was such a good offensive line coach, go from an NFL job in, as an offensive line coach to Oregon?
4: Let me see. I, I don't know if we have a disclosed salary number. I think it was rumored. And you the think he's getting paid more? 1. Five million. He's getting range? paid more at more at Oregon. I wouldn't be surprised if he's getting is. paid more
0: because yeah. he's going to be doing
1: more at Oregon. And you'll
2: have a mobile quarterback I, too.
1: I mean, I, here's—I <laughs> don't know anything about the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I, I will say that <laughs> very few, very few coaches are turning down college uh, NFL jobs for college jobs of any at any position. I mean, it's just like very
2: few coaches are in charge of the offensive line for Ben Roethlisberger.
1: That would scar me too. Here's That's the a thing, good point, Avery. <laughs> UCLA has UCLA had some of the worst sack percentages at, at, at while Adrian Clem was the offensive line coach. Uh, he has he, like sacks are a quarterback, despite, quarterback stat. Uh, That's right. I don't th- no. That was not a quarterback stat, and this was with, by the no, way, an offense <laughs> designed to get the ball out of Brett Hundley. Well, that hands was a Brett really
0: Hundley wiggly. problem then. <laughs> <laughs>
4: I, I saw Brett Hundley and take Demi- ten
1: sacks Demetrius in Martin, a game against their you defensive that versus. Look. <laughs> Reed will never say anything. <laughs> Reed will never say anything that makes me convinced that the that the that the staff, the assistants at Oregon, primarily people like Tosh Lupoy, Adrian Clem, Demetrius Martin, are not guys who are elite recruiters. And the thing you keep bringing up is that they're recruiting really well. I I just I so I say all of this because back to the original point, which was that does Oregon have a couple of dumb losses on the schedule? And the coaching staff is either A, young and inexperienced, which that doesn't mean they're not good, but they are young and inexperienced, or B, guys who are primarily known as recruiters and also known as, at, at, at the very least, spotty coaches. And so, like, I guess, I, I, what am I missing here?
4: Is that really fair, though? I mean, Tosh Lupoi got hired by Nick Saban at Alabama, Promoted to outside linebackers coach and promoted to defensive coordinator, and then was hired by three separate NFL teams. What about that reads as a spotty to bad coach?
1: I mean, if you want to include, I'll, 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 I'll concede Tosh Lupoy. I think that he's also had a, he's also had his wraps. You mentioned it as a defensive coordinator was not particularly successful at Alabama relative to what Alabama normally is. You you mentioned that yourself, and so I'll, I'll concede Tosh Lupoy would point those things out. But the others are just sort of like, again, super inexperienced, super young, or wildly flawed in their reputations. But
2: also, does it matter that much in the context of the (laughs) Pac-12? Like, you're not competing with 11 elite coaching staffs.
1: No, but I think good coaching, what it does is ensures that you don't get those stupid losses uh like good coaches typically don't have really bad horrific losses i don't i don't agree well, with unless, also that. be a talent year, level
2: it's also gonna be a first year coaching staff so like what matt was saying they're gonna okay. have okay. bad moments because they're first year coaching staff but they're in the pack 12 you so guys like,
0: may be underestimating how really terrible the rest of the conference is gonna be yeah i think it might be better this I year i think it's but, gonna be but um i don't think it'll be good <laughs> i, I I don't
1: think it'll be good. I think it might be a little bit better. I think uh, I think the coaching staffs have been upgraded at places outside. But also, Oregon Oregon. doesn't
2: just get a cruise through the north and then get into the conference championship. Like you have Utah and USC. Luckily That's they true. don't play USC, which is stupid and unfair, but whatever. I wanna I or, wanna go okay,
3: back to look, the expectations of it though. So like Reed, you brought up having the the fact that Oregon has earned the right to be a part of like that top three conversation of of Utah, USC and and Oregon when it comes to actually winning the championship. I I, I kind of wanna just clarify where that expectation actually is because to me, I absolutely feel like Oregon is third in that conversation when it comes to the ceiling. Where I think that Oregon is, is very much so above, you know, your Washington's, UCLA's, stuff like that. But I don't think that it's a conversation where it's like, hey, if Utah achieves what they should, what what is a legitimate expectation for Utah this year, and USC achieves what is probably a year early in their expectation, but goodness gracious, they have that thing turned up. That, that Oregon doesn't have a chance, in my opinion, against those two if they actually achieve what they need to. I don't think that Oregon's ceiling this year is that. And I don't think that that's a fair or reasonable expectation to expect that they should be in that conversation with those two if they actually do what they're supposed to. I completely understand having the conversation of them being third and they'll fill that gap if USC's defense does in fact give up 70 points a game or if Utah reverts back to you know being a team that is mostly built on three stars do you is that kind of where your expectations are or do you have expectations otherwise where you think that Oregon can legitimately go up there and and be an 11-1 and actually be the number one out of those three
4: I think that there is a world where things click for Oregon and they can compete with those teams even if they're rolling, you know? I think there is a, a world where Oregon is a legit top 15 or top 10 team in the country this year, which would put them in that conversation. Um, do I think that's the expectation? No, but I think that that's very reasonable. And, and I think one of the biggest things I wanted to say was, I think what we're underselling is, you know, Oregon really did not have any sort of competent passing offense last season. And I think that was a big part of the reason why that Utah game ballooned from you know, a somewhat competitive Utah having an advantage to Oregon was hopeless and they didn't have any answers. And then it compounded into they were just completely dejected and were looking at the quarterback confused and getting upset on the sideline and all of that. Oregon this offseason has completely overhauled their skill positions. You know, guys like Johnny Johnson and Jalen Redd and Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell are the names that we've known at Oregon for four years and they've finally left and in their shoes are coming up a lot more talented players who can do things that those guys couldn't you know there's inexperience there but at the same time I mean the second and third highest rated receivers ever to play at Oregon are set to start this year Um, and I think that You know, that in combination with moving away from a super conservative scheme, if you add in the element of a really, you know, real threat of a passing offense, this Oregon team could go to another level in combination with the talent advantage they already have and the line of scrimmage and the linebackers that they're compiling. So I I think there's a world where they can compete.
1: But they didn't upgrade it. The one place that you said was a, a real hindrance for them against Utah which was quarterback. Uh, I mean, are you convinced that Bo Nix is truly better than Anthony Brown? Because I would say if you went around this group here, none of them would be convinced that
0: Bo Nix, from what they've saw, was better. I think than Anthony he's Brown. better. I think he's better than yeah, Anthony. It's Brown. not hard to be better than. <laughs> the Anthony bar Brown. is on the floor. Don't think he's like. <laughs> I don't think he's at the level of the other better quarterbacks in the conference.
1: Greg, put it, put it, give me a percentage, and then we'll kick it to read. How mu- How by what percent is uh, Bo Nix better than Anthony I'd Brown? Say like twenty. Reed, is, is Bo Nix much better than Anthony Brown? I
4: think I think he is, in combination with the scheme, right, is a big part of it. I mean, even Oregon's offense in the Alamo Bowl versus Oklahoma looked different than their offense under Cristobal versus Utah. So a willingness to take shots opens up this offense to a different degree. And on top of that, I think Bo Nix is better. You know, is he going to be a top three quarterback in this league? Definitely not. Could he sneak into top five or six maybe i think there's a world where that happens uh and i think that in that case you know he could be good i think the perception of him is slanted a bit because auburn plays probably the hardest schedule in college football year in year out they have to play georgia alabama lsu and a and every single year and they haven't had an offensive line that could handle that uh during his time there really so i think that there's a chance that he can be, you know, that fifth or sixth best quarterback in the conference and in combination with talent elsewhere that that puts Oregon in a competitive space against even a good Utah or a good USC. I
2: think it would be disappointing if he wasn't top half. Like shouldn't he be top 6? Like th- he doesn't have in the Pac-12? Yeah, he in should the be top talent, 6. Though. I think he
0: should be around like I think I think he could be anywhere from like 5 to eighth.
2: Yeah, but if he if he drops below 8, that's like a wild disappointment cuz yeah. he doesn't have a ton of competition. Yeah. but here. I
0: like I think like Reed said he doesn't need to be top 3 for Oregon to win the conference. No. No. I don't think anyone. Does. When, I think okay, he does. so we, we
3: really Oh. Because the other two are Cam Rising and Caleb Williams. You're not you're not going up a Utah that has a Troy Williams at quarterback and you're not going up a USC that has Keaton Slovis at quarterback. But Like these are that, and that's where I don't even necessarily disagree that Oregon has every, I, Oregon may not even, it, it may not even be a stretch to say that Oregon's a top 15 team in the country. The difficult part of this is that I think that USC and Utah have legitimate chances at being top five and top seven, top eight programs in the country. Oregon also has to
1: play, and I know that you all are going to laugh, but like I think you all, and I think a lot of other people, no, mostly you all, you three specifically, Avery, Avery, Greg, and Matt. Yeah, UCLA is also going to be tough. I think UCLA has the th- <laughs> okay. what top oh. two, top three quarterback in the league. Uh, he's top all, two? also also <laughs> crit- top two? May- maybe top two. I'd put him top two right now. I'm not having seen Cameron Ward. I'd put <gasps> him behind God, I'm Caleb. Such Williams. a hard yeah. time
3: like not letting go of his first couple of years i get him. it last, last year was, was so really good. good it was really and good if he improves again <laughs> which is
0: possible but
1: uh yeah and and ucla's defensive talent level did increase somewhat i'm not saying that ucla is uh is significantly better than oregon but i also think that that game against ucla will also be another one where like we pencil it in as a win but like I'm not sure that I'm, that's closer to a toss-up than it is a likely win for Oregon.
0: I'll, I'll believe it when I see I it. I think it's, yeah, We'll see. I think the we'll thing see. we all undervalue <laughs> with Oregon is uh, I think they're going to have comfortably the best line play in the conference, and that's going to matter. Yeah, it, it could. It, uh, it could. It, it okay, one more does. question.
3: I saw. <laughs> it was, I saw. The it difference. did it last year. I saw the it, difference in Utah's offensive line based off of a simple quarterback change. I'm just. I'm. Hmm. I'm leaning off of really riding that hmm. much with line play. Like, I, I get what yeah. you're saying, and I do think that it does matter. I think I just, Utah's offensive line have... was
0: legitimately good, and it wasn't just the quarterback that changed. The players changed, too.
3: Oregon's offensive
1: line was really good last year, and look what happened. I just, I'm just, i just going to say. Reed, we have one more question because we got to get out of here soon uh, that I want to pose. Well, I'm going to pose one statement here, and I'm going to have you and then the rest of the gang respond. I, I am of the opinion, and I'm going to assume that I'm not alone here, but you guys keep fucking changing your opinions and leaving me out here on an island and <laughs> pretending I'm like gaslighting this shit out of you me. You are gaslighting. For whatever reason. <laughs> you're trying to make Oregon like a
3: uh, 50th team. You're trying to make a Fresno State. I, I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am of the opinion that Oregon cannot be elite if USC is elite. Uh, and I, We've had many fights with Reed about this, that, uh, that Oregon... Reed is convinced that uh, Oregon can be elite as the same, at the same time as USC, that Oregon can prevent uh, USC uh, from being elite. I'm of the opinion that USC is elite. Oregon's going back to where it was when Pete Carroll was, was around and thriving. Reed, I want you to respond to that, and then the rest of the game can gaslight the shit out of me as they <laughs> normally do.
4: Uh, I would just say, I mean, obviously I follow the recruiting side of it pretty closely. And I think that things... We don't know for sure. I think that things have changed a bit in terms of how high school kids, you know, view these two programs. I think that the past 12 years of success and, you know, stretches of real dominance in this conference from Oregon has changed the opinion both regionally and nationally of the Oregon brand. Uh, And from a recruiting perspective, I mean, we've seen Oregon land a top 10 class when USC landed a top 10 class. And even right now, USC is number one in the country in the 2022 class. Oregon is flirting with top 10 at the moment and could definitely see some things click to get there. So I think when Oregon recruits top 10, when anyone recruits top 10, they have a chance to be an elite program. And I think Oregon can do that, even with USC taking a lot of talent out of Southern California.
1: Okay, now, Greg, Avery, Matt,
0: I definitely know at least one of you agreed with me that Oregon cannot be elite if USC. elite. it just depends to me like on what you mean by elite. Like I don't think Oregon and USC will be national title contenders at the same time. but I think Oregon can be a New Year's six team, like a legitimate New Year's six team, not just you get a bid because USC's in the playoff. Like I think Oregon can be a top 10 t- team at the same time uh, USC is contending for national titles. Uh, I mean, even in 2008, and I think Oregon's a much better program than they were then, uh, they went 10-3 and 3, while USC went 12-1. and 1. Like, it's it's possible.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, 10-3 and, uh, 10 and 3 is, that's with the bowl win, right? That's with so a I don't bowl win, what, but I mean, they, like,
0: I mean, Utah this year. Yo, I think
1: they could be a 9-win team when USC is elite. I sure. think, they can be like, a, I think a lot team. of teams could be 9-win teams. But I'm not, uh, like, we've seen what it looks like when USC is rolling and they're soaking up all the there's talent. There's not enough, like, there's here. too much talent for them to soak up all of it. We, uh, was that not true 10 years – there's more talent now 10 years ago? There's less talent than there was 10 years ago. High school recruiting in California, I and mean, Oregon like, we've seen a pretty California big drop-off players. in participation in like high school. You heard
0: Reed. He said they both got top 10 classes at the same time. It's possible.
1: Uh, so so just a quick fact check here on 24-7's overall recruiting rankings. USC was number six and Oregon was 16. I think 16. he was using on three. Uh, they have. I mean, USC I, I at number I guess one. Co- company man. I see. I see. I see. Okay.
4: Yeah, I mean right now this cycle isn't finished yet, but if you go to 2021 uh recruiting class, the Oregon class and the USC class were both in the top 10 in that cycle. I mean, that was
1: it was that was Clay Helton's class to be to be
4: totally yeah. fair. Yeah, but they recruited well that year. They didn't play well on the field, but they recruited pretty I mean
1: well that's that that's about six that's about the effects of 6 years of being mediocre to bad with a Rose Bowl, thrown but do you in there? think that
0: like I'm, USC going from that spot to number one, say, somehow drops Oregon from where they were ten spots? Yeah, I don't I think that's I think possible. Like, that's too many players right there. <laughs> USC doesn't have enough room.
3: It's not just players though. It's it's about where your actual recruiting pitch is coming in. If your recruiting pitch is that you can compete with USC, and that shows to not be true. Then all of a sudden, from the player perspective, it's about, well, do I want to go play at Oregon, go 9-3, and three, and always just be kind of a write-off because everybody is picking USC? Or do I want to go to an SEC school? Do I want to go to a Southern, uh, South Carolina and try to show out against the three or four nationally televised games that I'm going to get against NFL talent? Like There, there is a different recruiting pitch involved for Oregon when it comes to if USC is a legitimate national title contender.
4: Reid, you have thoughts? I would just say part of that also stems from, like, you know, you have to start before the ball gets rolling for USC, right? You have to battle them now. I mean, it's one thing if, you know, they've won back to back titles and you're recruiting against them. But right now, there's a room to say, you know, sell yourself and say, we've been, Oregon's been successful for 12 years. What has USC done recently? We have talent already here that you can come in and plug and play with. Uh, and USc needs to establish some of that still so i think you know it starts you if you win the conference this year what does that do for your recruiting pitch and helping to fight off USc and where do you build from there you know i think if you just plug usc into like i said back-to-back national titles or whatever then it becomes a different conversation
1: all right any other uh, any other uh, arguments to pick with Reed here
2: i don't think that oregon can do anything to stop usc from being elite i don't think oregon that's can all stop i have USC to say. from being elite that's I true. Just think
0: oregon can coexist. the question is about
2: the other
4: way yes
1: yeah that's true do you, you 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 agree with that reed
4: i think uh yeah i mean i do agree that if usc is rolling you know i, I think it's the best job in the country when it's rolling at full speed right so yeah if they're if they're all clicked in no one can stop them they have advantages that no one can really compete with i think
1: matt were you gonna say something
3: i i was just gonna say that like lincoln riley's good lincoln riley's not saban
0: mm-hmm.
3: and and hasn't shown the ability to adapt like saban has and so like oregon's ability to fill a georgia type role to usc is is definitely i think reasonable um and we'll see. All right. All right. Well, that'll do it
1: uh, for our guest Reed. Thank you very much for coming on and fighting with us. Did you feel, uh, do you feel like you got your shots in Reed? Yeah, I was happy. <laughs> Long time coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well that will do it for us. Thank you again, Reed. You can read his stuff, uh, on scoop duck at scoop.com. ScoopDuck.com. Is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah. Uh, or you can uh, primarily listen to him talk about Oregon football on the Quacked Out podcast. Reed, thank you for fighting with us, for uh, letting us drag you into the mud. It's always fun to talk to you and to talk shit with you. It's been uh, it's been great. That will do it for No Truck Offs. We'll get you one more off-season episode in July. And then starting in August, uh, we're doing it again. We're going weekly, previewing the Pac-12 football season all the way up until kickoff. But... For now, please enjoy yourselves with non pack 12 stuff. Follow the podcast on Twitter at NoTruckStopsPod. Thank you for listening, and remember, there are no truck stops here.
3: Not even read. The room is still
2: and thick with smoke So thick it makes you choke The crowd falls in, the coffee's kicking And my patience is wearing thin So I'm lonely a single sax on a quiet city street.